name's Eileen Townsend, and I'm the editor of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, a trade magazine for the forest products industry that's based out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. Thanks for listening to this month's podcast. So this month, we talked with Peter Smolage, who's a New York State Extension Forester, about an issue that should be familiar to anyone who works in the woods in the Northeast, which is the issue of the deer population and forest regeneration. So as a lot of you know, um, when a deer population is high, it negatively affects the ability of the woods to regenerate. And Smolage and his team at Cornell, where he works at the Arnott Teaching and Research Forest, they had some really interesting ideas about what landowners and land managers could do to address this problem. So I'm Peter Smallage. I'm the New York State Extension Forester, and I also am the director of Cornell's Arnott Teaching and Research Forest, which is located in Schuyler County in the Finger Lakes, about 18 miles southwest of Ithaca. And the uh, Arnott, as a teaching and research forest, is a managed landscape, so the majority of the lands, and it's just over 4,000 acres, are managed forest. And for uh, for a few decades now, since the late 90s, we've recognized that deer are having an impact on forest seedlings, tree seedlings, and other herbaceous plants, despite the fact that we had a very aggressive hunting program. And so we had done a couple of regeneration harvests, a shelterwood harvest, and then uh, some strip clearcuts the early 2000s, and when we looked at those after a few years, we saw that essentially the only thing we were growing back was uh, were species that we would consider undesirable species. So they were non-commercial species. It was American beech, striped maple, and hop hornbeam. The majority of it was American beech. And so we tried some different things. We tried some relatively expensive uh, vegetation management treatments that also didn't have uh, a long-lasting effect. And so by about 2010, as director, I made the decision that we, that it was, as the, there was a group of us working on this, that, that uh, the group recognized that deer were the kind of the underlying problem that created the vegetation problem, the beach and the striped maple and what have you. And so we really needed to have a solution to deer before we could think about uh, sustainably regenerating the forest. So we, we put regeneration harvest on hold for many years, and we were trying to come up with a viable solution. We, uh, in 2016, Brett Chenzoy started as the forest manager. Brett is a regional extension forester based out of Schuyler County, so he's, he works part of his time on the Arnott. And when he got started, he recognized there were some stands that uh, needed to be regenerated because we had, overall, the, the forest was largely mature, mostly a single age class in the 80 to 100 range or maybe even a little more than 100 and we were trying to balance out the age distribution of the stands so that we had some young stands and 
to kind of get into a, a, a pattern there. And the one of the sands that was poised for regeneration had um, the next entry into the sand needed to regenerate that. And there were a few stands that were like that. So I said, all right, well, we can regenerate it, but we got to figure out how to fix the deer problem. So we were initially planning to put up a fence. So we had done some work with, with fencing projects where you use low value trees on the perimeter of the harvest. You attach um, structures, you know, pieces of wood in, in a certain way to those trees to support the fence of the plastic mesh fence. And, um, and then it keeps the deer out and, and fences have been effective in Pennsylvania, but they require, they're fairly expensive to put up and they're even more expensive to maintain. So you would have uh, somebody that needs to walk the perimeter of the fences. And we were looking between 2016 and 2017, we were looking at four different harvest areas that had over 15,000 feet of perimeter, about 16,000 feet of perimeter. So and we don't have a staff at the Arnott that has the time to be able to do that. So it was, I mean, we were really up against uh, a, a block in our our pathway to regeneration harvesting if we're thinking about using plastic mesh fence or any kind of fence. So any all of those fences have to be observed and maintained on a very regular basis. So between Brett and I, we started brainstorming. We came up with this idea that during a regeneration harvest, there's going to be a lot of wood that's available. And if we can take the, the slash, so the, the tops, the branches, the low value stems, the pole size timber, uh, scrag logs if necessary, and for that slash that's near the perimeter of the harvest, we mark the perimeter of the harvest, if that can be piled into a uh, substantive, bare, substantial barrier um, sufficient to exclude deer, then we might be able to have enough time inside the slash wall for the seedlings that are there to grow and get above the height of the deer. Mm -hmm. So our first question, our first question was one: get, you know, would this work? Um, can we find a logger that has the right kind of equipment to do this efficiently, and that's uh, you know, that recognizes the need to do this and is committed to building that wall in a way um, that is going to be effective. And what and then, kind of equipment that, do you need to do it efficiently? So uh, what we know will work is a, uh, a mechanized crew. So with a, uh, a feller buncher with a hot saw and typically a grapple skitter mm -hmm. and uh, the, the basic process is quite similar to the way when the, the loggers, if they're clearing a, a power utility corridor, power utility right away, whether it's a gas line or an electrical electric line corridor, and they have to remove the trees and pile them on the side. So it's that same basic process, um, but but here there's the added necessity of making sure that when you pile it, that you're not leaving a hole or an opening that the deer can crawl through. So deer are going to be as happy to go under or through the wall as, as over it. And deer are very agile. They can they have, they have incredible jumping capacities, but they would 
they're they're as likely to go under or through. So the the hole that a deer can get through is quite small. So we've we've seen tracks when we've been you know monitoring walls where they're trying to get through a, a hole that's about one foot by one foot. So we found a crew, and it was it was a process to work with the crew. Something because we, to our knowledge, no one has done this at this scale and with this size of a of a barrier of, a, of an exclusion barrier. So it was it was they were a little concerned because they didn't know if if it would work. They didn't know how much it would cost them. We didn't know how much it would cost them. We obviously were going to compensate them for the work that they're doing, and and we were we had a good enough relationship with them that we went into it uh, on both sides a little bit uncertain of what it was going to take and what it was going to cost, but that we would make sure that they didn't um, they didn't suffer financially because of this this activity and this effort on their part. We got started on the first wall that was completed. We started in March of 2017. That was a 74-acre parcel. 74 acre stand, which was on the Arnott Forest. And they they kind of experimented as they went along and eventually developed a system where they they lay down pole sized timbers uh, on the on the on the ground to form essentially a foundation and that will go up for at least a few feet. And then on top of that they put the coarser crowns uh, and branches and things like that. So it, it builds this this uh, wall uh, that ends up being about 20 feet wide. So we had we had set the specifications to be 10 feet wide and 10 feet high. We didn't know, you know we those those numbers didn't have any real basis. So when they as they were building it. Uh, it, it ended up being, in order to get 10 feet high, the base of the wall needed to be about 20 feet wide. And when we went back in, and, and they were successful in doing that. The uh, So the first wall they built was a little over 7,000 feet in perimeter. And then they went on to do three additional harvests in 2017, uh, all in the Arnott, so three different stands. The smallest one was about nine or ten acres, uh, so there's roughly so there's three of them were less than twenty acres in size, and then one of them was seventy four acres in size. Wow, that's a pretty large stretch. Yes. Yeah. So we first uh, and, and we knew going into it that we were probably going to trap deer inside the harvest or inside the slash wall, which we didn't want to have. And they're big enough, even the even the nine and 10 acre harvests, we probably wouldn't have had enough people to push them and drive the deer out the opening. So there are gated gates uh, where we can get logging equipment to come back in. So all of these harvests are regeneration harvests. They leave relatively uh, low amounts of overstory stocking so somewhere in the anywhere in the 10 to 40 or 45 square feet of basal area range so at some point we need to get back in to do an overstory removal so there's a fairly wide opening that we end up putting a gate across but we need to get the deer out and the the thought of trying to push them out 
didn't seem very practical. So we worked with the New York State DEC. We explained to them what we were trying to do for, for the process of forest regeneration, and they offered us uh, deer damage permits that we could use um, throughout the year, except during the active deer season. And so, uh, I, they actually, the smaller three harvests, I don't think there were any deer that were trapped inside. There were uh, a couple of deer that were trapped inside of the 74-acre harvest that we uh, took care of with the deer damage permits. That 74-acre harvest was, as you know, was the first slash wall. And one of the learning points that we arrived at was that was the need to have that that foundation of essentially solid wood uh, so the deer can't crawl underneath it. And at, at one point there was a large hemlock crown was put was the first piece that was put down as part of the wall and it looked like it was solid. It looked like it was quite full, but when the needles fell off, the, the main stem was suspended was supported by the branches and there was an opportunity for deer to get underneath that. So mm -hmm. Uh, within the within the first year during the winter time when we were doing uh, visual checks for deer tracks in the snow we realized the deer had gotten in under this we patched that up and then we got some additional deer damage permits to make sure there were no deer inside that harvest and so since that time uh, they have been to our knowledge perfectly effective at excluding deer Wow. Uh, yeah, um, and and the good news. So there's a caveat to that that I'll tell you in a second. So the way, the reason why we know that and how we monitor whether or not deer get inside the slash walls is for the first couple of years we go out in the wintertime, walk around in the snow and look for deer tracks and look for uh, deer beds and things like that. That's a kind of a uh, casual way of doing it. We also have trail cameras that are mounted at the gates. So the gates are a, a black plastic mesh and they're eight feet high and supported with high tensile wire. And we have a, on the side, we have a walkthrough gate to make it easy for hunters and spectators to get in and out of the slash walls without allowing deer to get in or out. Mm -hmm. And those, those, the deer, as the deer walk and they, they come across the slash wall and they walk, kind of walk the perimeter of it, they get to the gate and they stand there and they look through the gate. And so it's a great place, whether if we had deer on the inside or on the outside, they always end up at the gate that we're able to get camera pictures to document whether or not we have them. Mm. And then the third way that we, the third way that we do that is we have tagged hardwood seedlings inside the slash wall and outside the slash wall. We measure the height of those seedlings every summer and what we see is that the heights of the seedlings inside the slash wall are growing much faster than the height of the seedling outside the slash wall. So wow. we have, there's, you know, there's uh, several dozen seedlings of two or three different species that we're monitoring to keep track of that. And these are species like sugar maple and, and red oak that would typically be browsed. So we feel pretty confident that the slash walls are effective at excluding deer now the, the caveat is this past winter so in uh january or february of 2021 one of the slash walls that was located just below the crest of a ridge on the downwind side ended up having a, a snow drift crust over 
and there were tracks of deer that came across the snowdrift and into the slash hole. So that was that wasn't good. You know, that was like, uh oh. Um, it was it was an unusual event because of the drifting patterns of the snow. The good news was that just as there was enough crust to hold the deer and, and move it across the slash wall, the deer was able to get out and the seedlings that were underneath there was about two feet of snow, the seedlings that were underneath that snow um, were not available to the deer. So there was no no significant impact that we've detected yet on any of the desirable tree species inside that slash wall. So there there is there is a finite, you know, there's a lifespan to a slash wall. And we knew that going into it that every year there was going to be some slumping of the slash wall and we've been monitoring that. We use a, a fairly um, uh, fairly high quality laser range finder and uh, every year we go out and remeasure about a hundred points, permanent points on each of these walls. We measure the width of the wall, which pretty much doesn't change. And we measure the height of the wall to the tallest twig and the height of the wall to the tallest two inch diameter stem. The initial walls were all about 10 feet or just over 10 feet to the tallest twig. Uh, and there were about eight feet to the tallest, to the highest two inch diameter branch. Um, so we've since we've modified uh, since that experience, the, our contract specifications. Now we're looking for 10 feet of height to a two inch diameter branch. So the total height would be something higher than that, but those, those finer branches at slumps, um, slumps at a rate of about 10% per year. So the walls that were originally 10 feet tall after three growing seasons, so the uh, 2017, 2018, four growing seasons, 2019, uh, we're looking now at wall heights that are in the six to seven foot range. And they're still effective. And I think they're effective largely because of the width and the coarseness of it. So there's, there's enough porosity that if a deer was trying to walk across the top of it, uh, it would, the deer would be worried about falling through. So mm -hmm. if it was a, you know, a, a, somebody somebody had brought over some, you know, a, a goat wouldn't have any problem doing that, but deer, <laughs> deer are not as bold as goats. Yeah, we for, don't have a, a, goat, that, a goat problem yeah. in the Northeast. Right, that's right. So for those people that raise goats, they, they can visualize, you know, they know what the goats <laughs> are able to do. So um, I'm curious, you know, if you have ideas for who, which landowners might be the most, I guess, attracted to this style of land management and also, you know, how practical you think this is for your kind of average upstate New York uh, forest owner. So we have, at the Arnott Forest, we have had... Uh, essentially a slash wall educational day every year, you know, starting the year before we actually began harvesting. So going back into the fall of 2016, uh, we knew that the, we knew we were going to start uh, working on this contract the following winter. So we, we took foresters and loggers and landowners and anybody else that was interested out into the woods. And we started talking about, here's our plan. Here's what we're thinking. And largely because we had never done it. We wanted to get this collective wisdom from 
uh, especially loggers who are familiar with their equipment and familiar with moving uh, wood around just to think about how is this going to play out? You know, what's, what's the feasibility of it? And there were, you know, we had the spectrum of people of, you know, this is going to work great. And then other people were thinking, you know, I don't see how this is going to be possible. And then we, and then we did the same thing again in 2017. And every year since then, we've had this kind of field tour to look at the slash holes. There has been, um, very strong positive responses from I, I think everybody that we've talked to. Now there's you know people can look at it and say oh well it's an eyesore and it's I mean it, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. These are these are large organic structures that um, that some people might look at it and say I don't think it's attractive. But you can also look at it and say this is a great big brush pile. And it's great for wildlife, for all wildlife other than deer. The two concerns that we've heard about uh, in, in all of, across the spectrum of woodland owners and loggers and foresters, they see this as a, as particularly as they've seen the results. And we walk inside the slash wall and we can show them oak and maple regeneration seedlings that are five feet tall, which are hard to come by in most of New York. I mean, most of the time, deer keep these these palatable species browsed back to you know, tiny little bonsai shrubs. Uh, inside the slash wall, we don't have that. Uh, so the the challenge is really the, is finding the equipment and the scale of operations that it's cost effective to do this. Uh, but when we've done when we worked with the loggers on those first four harvests, and, and then we've in 2019 and early uh, early 2020, we did an additional five harvests. So we've now done nine harvests with slash walls that range in size from we have some one acre circular patch cuts um, all the way up to 140 acre regeneration harvests. We have uh, in total about 51,000 feet of perimeter and slash hole. So we've we've monitored, not not on all of those, but on some of those we monitored machine hours and the time that went into building the wall and using different methods. Um, we've worked with a single crew uh, and a single operator of that feller buncher. So as additional loggers try this, um, you know, the, the numbers are going to change, I think, a little bit. I don't think a lot. I wouldn't expect them to change a lot. But it costs, when you when you calculate on a machine hour cost of about $200 an hour, it costs $1.50 per foot to build the slash wall. So that's just that's the cost of the operator and the machine. Uh, and that's really inexpensive in comparison to building a fence. So a fence, when you build it, is going to cost anywhere between about four dollars and six and a half or seven dollars a foot, depending upon the types of materials and the train and whether or not you have to add supplemental posts and things like that. So the, the cost of installation might be uh, anywhere from half to a third or a quarter of the cost of building a fence, and there's no cost for maintenance. So we'll do an initial check, see if we have deer inside. If that's if we don't have deer inside, which we would resolve with deer damage permits, then 
we've opened the, the wall is stable. We don't have any additional ongoing costs with that. So the, the cost is getting the machinery in to do this. And so far, we've worked uh, at the Arnott Forest. We've worked just with a, a feller bunch with a hot saw and a grapple skitter. We're aware of another logger who was related to the logging crew that worked at the Arnott that built a small slash wall in a Norway spruce plantation using, uh, he has a, uh, he's a, a manual felling, a chainsaw feller and a grapple skitter. Let's just say he had a, a skitter that allowed him to, you know, grab a, a hitch of spruce tops and then push those up into a, into a perimeter wall, uh, on this. It was a, conversion of a spruce plantation to a hardwood stand and that so that works so that was, there's an example of somebody that on a small scale it was about seven acres that that worked on small landowners like it but if you have if you're a, a small private woodland owner and you have 20 acres and you're going to harvest five or ten acres it's probably not cost effective to bring in the crew that's going to manage, that's going to run a feller buncher and grapple skitter and you know, that kind of, that scale of operation doesn't seem feasible. That said, we've had uh, the, the interest from this has gone we've, uh, from a kind of a research side. We know that there's research interest in doing this in Connecticut, in Massachusetts, uh, in uh, Michigan. So Michigan State University is interested in doing this, Connecticut Ag Experiment Station, the Connecticut Regional Water Authority is interested in doing this. We've had conversations with the U.S. Forest Service uh, research silviculturalists who want to uh, look at this. And then with a lot of landowners, and as we speak, there's a landowner in, I think it's in Madison County, New York, it's near Earlville, that the the owner and the forester had come and participated in a couple of our training sessions, our, our field tours, and now they have started implementing a slash wall on that owner's property near Earlville, New York. And the, the logger there is using a similar kind of feller buncher hot saw and uh, is building a fabulous wall. And the, the, the key thing is the logger has to has to be interested in wanting to do this. Most and most loggers, I mean, they're in the woods all the time. They see the impacts that deer have. They care about the forest and wanting to make sure that the forest continues to thrive and is able to regenerate. And and so they they can see why something like this is useful. Uh, the other the other the other uh, concerns we talked earlier about. Some people look at this and say, well, aesthetically, maybe it's not so pretty. Some people look at it and say, look at all the wood that's going into that slash wall. And uh, the, the two points on that are that first, that wood is, is owned by the landowner, and the landowner is making a conscious decision to put that wood into a slash wall rather than trying to merchandise it. Now, you can always find a stem here and a stem there that you think, all right, I could sell that for something. Uh, but most of the wood that's going in there is small diameter wood. It's uh, the cull trees that wouldn't be, wouldn't really have any merchantable value and it's the tops of the trees. So there's really, there's a, there's low value. Our calculations of the value are that it's about 75 cents 
per foot for the value of wood if you're if you're generous in how you do those calculations. So the total cost of the wall, the machine operator cost is about a dollar and a half. The cost of the value of the wood, which would be uh, values that the landowner does not receive, is about seventy-five cents a foot. So it's, it works out to be about two dollars and twenty-five cents a foot. And there's and there's no cost to maintenance. There's no cost to remove it. So when you, you know fences, when you put up a fence, you've got the initial fairly high installation cost. And then at some point, you should probably take that fence down. A recent estimate that we heard from colleagues in Pennsylvania, uh, they knew somebody that had removed a fence, and the cost of removing the fence was a dollar a foot. So that's an additional cost that's added in that, that management process. Interestingly, when I was, uh, Brett Shenzoy and I went and visited with the logger and the forester near Earlville last week, and the logger was had completed about a thousand feet of wall, and he said that he had looked at it, he was kind of calculating how many loads of, of how many truckloads of logs he might have been able to get out of that, and you know he gave me the his number, and then he started you know, kind of back calculating the cost associated with utilizing that. So there's the machine time to skid all that out. Uh, he was working in a spruce, it was spruce and red pine with some hardwoods mixed in. And so he does manual limbing. So he'd have to limb all that out. So there's the, the time to do the limbing, the time to do the skidding, the wear and tear on his machinery to get it all out. And so in, in his quick analysis, he essentially hadn't lost any money. Plus, he was getting paid to build the wall. So there was no, for him and his calculation, there was no net loss to leaving that wood behind. It's, it feels awkward because what, you know, what we're doing when we're logging is we're trying to take wood out of the forest and then sell it. And so to cut the wood and to not take it out is, is something that doesn't quite feel right. But when you, when you, when you, burrow down into the details of does it make sense to do that, uh, then the answer that we've come up with and that this particular logger had come up with was no, it doesn't. And plus, those trees belong to the landowner, the landowner wanted them to fall. So that I, I guess there are three things that I can, I'll do them quickly. One, we were we were talking about kind of the, uh, uh, we were discussing what are the maybe the negative impacts of the slash wall? We thought about maybe aesthetics, and, and that's a very personal thing. I've, most people I don't think are offended by the look of a slash wall, but ecologically, these are uh, this is a this is essentially a linear brush pile um, that's better than most brush piles you would ever build in your own woodlot. And, and we have on our cameras that we use to monitor deer, we've captured imagery of every other mammal that we know in New York other than otters which and mink which tend to be more in uh, stream valleys and rivers every other mammal we've we've captured going up and over those walls so red fox gray fox coyotes bobcats fishers bears uh, raccoons porcupines I mean just we have the whole ensemble of wildlife that are working and using inside the slash wall which inside the slash wall itself is its own very unique and new york a pretty rare 
habitat because it's an early successional, it's a young forest, and it's going to grow back to a good forest. So that's a, I think that's an interesting thing. Um, the landowners, so we have some uh, new research project that we're starting where we're going to be experimenting with smaller size slash walls. And initially I said that we'd started off with this 10 foot by 10 foot dimension, not knowing kind of what the thresholds were, what was really necessary. So we're, we're going to be doing some experiments where we might, we're going to try to use some smaller sized walls and smaller parsons, smaller harvest areas to see if we're able to effectively exclude deer. So if we have a smaller area, smaller harvest, we're not taking up as much of, a, of the home range of a deer, and that deer might be more comfortable walking around it rather than trying to think it needs to get over it or through it. So if we can create uh, a revised prescription for the size of the slash wall, that might make this more attainable for uh, owners that have parcels that are you know, that they're not going to do these large harvests on. And then the final thing I'll mention, if people are interested in this, we're more than happy to talk with them by phone or by email. Anybody that wants to come to the Arnock Forest, we'll give them a tour if they're, you know, if they're serious about wanting to see what, it's, what it takes to, to create a slash wall. We'd, we're very happy to work with them. As a starting point to learn more, we've created a, a resource site on the, on the the web link for that is www.slashwall.info. So singular on wall slash wall info. Thanks, Peter, and thanks for listening to this month's podcast. Thanks also to our sponsor, John Deere. To find success in the forest, you can wait for the perfect set of conditions or give yourself every advantage to create your own. As the worldwide leader in forestry, John Deere is best equipped to provide those advantages with productive machines, innovative technology, useful insights, and dependable support. The obstacles to success are many. Look to John Deere to help you outrun them all.